Welcome to the Don Smith Show, where it's okay to be a conservative. And now here's your host, Don Smith. Hey, thank you, Brad Smith, for that great introduction. And thanks to each and every one of you for tuning in today for another Don Smith Show, where it's always okay to be a conservative. Great lineup on the program for you here today. we got Fox News' Pete Hegseth, also Mr. Timothy Lee. We're going to talk about some of the executive orders signed by the president yesterday in an attempt to lower drug prices um, and where his organization, Center for Individual Freedom, where they stand on that. Also, back is my good friend. He is the editor of peoplespunditdaily.com. His name is Richard Barris. So great lineup on the program uh, so much here to cover, and I apologize for being off last week. A lot of work to do, and uh, kind of had to do a last-minute pull-the-plug kind of thing. So great to have you all here. We've got a full two-hour show today, a lot, of co- lot to cover, three great interviews, just a little bit of time to do it. Folks, you know what time it is. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's get ready to rumble! And we will be rumbling for the next two hours. So we're watching all the news play out here. Obviously, uh, a lot of stuff going on here in the country, uh, around the world. But we focus here on America because it's America first. But, you know, watching everything that's going on with this, I don't know if you caught the thing with Dr. Fauci here uh, at the baseball game. And <laughs> you'll notice that the pitch veered sharp left. Uh, no surprise there. But anyway, sitting in the stand. So here's the guy, right? This is the guy who tells you you don't care if you're not wearing a mask, you must hate your neighbor, you, uh, it's about respect, right? you got to have respect for, for your neighbors. Here the guy is, sitting up in the stand. Now, he's also the guy who said that, you know, we really shouldn't be going to ball games and concerts and any large gathering things like that. So the guy gets the whole entire baseball stadium to himself. How convenient. But here he is, sitting in the stands without a mask. His wife, sitting in the stands without a mask. They're next to a guy who I think I guess I hear is his brother or whatever, and he has a mask on. Um, but Dr. Fauci said he was just dehydrated and needed a drink of water, but he wasn't drinking water. You know, whatever. You know, I don't know how you all feel about the mask thing and all this thing, but here's, here's what I'm going to say. If you're going around and you are the guy that lectures everybody on wearing a mask in public, you should probably wear a mask in public. I'm just saying, you know, what I was really fascinated is the people needed, felt the need to defend this, right? So, you know, it is what it is. It's a picture of him sitting there, no mask, wife, no mask. He's not drinking water. Uh, He's doing the steeple thing with his hands. So, yeah, there's no acting, actively drinking water kind of thing going on there. But here's the thing. The people that need to defend this and so, oh, he's taking a drink, oh, these are the same people who, who believe all this stuff. Whatever science tells them. Because remember, this guy in America right now when it comes to COVID-19, he is science, right? He's been wrong about almost everything. So if you're going to believe science today, why do you believe it today when they were wrong yesterday? That's what I would, would say about it, and I think it's the big problem with all of this stuff. Nobody, even right now, I don't think, I don't think any of these people understand exactly why we're having these spiking cases. Um, I don't think they really know what's going on yet. And, and I think this could be, you know, there's a clip. So this is, this is a couple months ago. I'm sure you've all heard this before, but this is very important. This is the problem with everything. When you come out and say, first of all, 
Remember, it wasn't human-to-human transmission. China told us that. Well, pray tell, what else does China say? So we had the World Health Organization. We had Dr. Fauci. We had uh, Dr. Burks. We had everybody tell us that there was no human-to-human transmission. Huge, huge mistake. Not just a little mistake. Remember, it it was just because somebody ate a bat, and uh, so it was an animal-to-human transmission. So don't worry. We're all good. Uh, it's not going to spread from one person to the next. Look at where we're at today. Look at what happened since they made that proclamation. So this wasn't just being a little wrong. This was being 180 degrees wrong, as wrong as you could possibly be. But Dr. Fauci, he's concerned that people might be you know, skeptical of science. And of course we are. Your science and you were wrong about almost everything. Remember, it was the be careful with your food deliveries because it lives on cardboard surfaces. They they had a specific amount of time that it lived on every surface from glass to plastic to cardboard to name it, right? They were wrong. They were wrong about almost everything. They just were. It is what it is. Remember remember the uh we played that clip of of the Cuomo thing, right? Trying to get out of his situation where he had told everybody this and that and he said and he was the one who even said it too. They were wrong about everything. So one of the first things we heard, so here's the problem. So we're talking about Dr. Fauci being very concerned that people aren't going to believe science anymore. You know, whether it's COVID-19 or whether it's climate change, it's the same thing. Climate change, they've been wrong about almost everything. Not just a little wrong, really, really wrong. So here was Dr. Fauci when this thing first hit, Again, no human-to-human transmission. Here's what he had to say about wearing a mask. Right now, people should not be walking. There's no reason to be walking around with a mask. When you're in the middle of an outbreak, wearing a mask might make people feel a little bit better, and it might even block a, a droplet, but it's not providing the perfect protection that people think that it is. And often, there are unintended consequences. People keep fiddling with the mask and they keep touching their face. No, that part of it is true. And, and it is what it is. And this is what people are doing. It may cause more harm than good. But did you hear? I mean, even mocked it. Uh, it, may, it may stop a droplet or two, but you could not be more wrong compared to what they tell us today. Now, was he wrong then? Is he wrong now? Uh, when was this moment of realization, this, this great awakening that, that everybody had where, oh, okay, now no, everybody's got to wear a mask, I, I guess, unless you're Dr. Fauci and his wife sitting at a baseball game that nobody else can go to because he doesn't think it's safe for people to be at a ball game. And, you know, kind of another thing, just, you know, not to, not to totally uh, pick apart Dr. Fauci here today, but yeah, we're going to do it anyway. But here's another thing. We couldn't go to ball games, right? So here's this guy. Who, who doesn't want people going to ball games and, and you're supposed to be okay with that. Here, here the guy is. The, the optics of this thing were so horrible from the, the moment his pitch veered uh, far left to sitting in the stands and taking his mask off, the, everything wrong with that. But there's another thing that was going on here too. This was going on. While he was doing all these things, this was during the White House press briefing with the COVID-19 response team that he's kind of like the de facto leader of. But instead, he's throwing out the first pitch at the ball game, and then he's playing. With, did you see him, too, even when he did have the mask on? He's playing with his mask, and he's doing everything he just described in that clip. 
Now we know, though, and this is an even bigger problem for the guy who's concerned that people are going to be skeptical about science. Oh, well, maybe people won't believe science now, right? But here's another problem with this entire thing. So here the guy is. Masks, no masks, they're bad for you. Now the masks are mandatory. You don't care about people. You want people to die if you don't wear a mask. Pretty big shift there, folks. But here's the thing. So now we're told that the reason he said what you just heard in that clip is because, you know, he was just he was concerned about the medical profession and he just wanted to make sure there were enough masks. So he really knew that that was a lie, but it was for your own good. It was for the good of the country. It was for the good of the medical profession. Folks, that is the ends justifies the means. I'm going to completely lie to you, which may, you know, may kill some people, but I'm doing it for your own good. I'm doing it for the good of society because I'm a good global citizen, right? It's all that stuff baked into one. And so if you're concerned, Dr. Fauci, about people being skeptical of science, here's a thought. Here's a thought. If you're a scientist and a virus, because I don't expect that they would automatically know everything about COVID-19. COVID-19 is new. Uh, nobody saw it coming. It came. We don't know that much about it. But here's, here, here's some advice. If you don't want people to be skeptical of science, and you know you represent science, once in a while, perhaps you should come out and say, you know what? We really don't know. We're really not sure. We don't know if masks are good. We don't know if masks are bad. We're not really sure if it's human-to-human transmission. Say you don't know. Instead of emphatically stating something to where everybody is supposed to react and say, well, you're a science denier or you don't believe in science. If you were a science denier, at the, according to what they're saying today, if you were a science denier at the beginning, you were prophetic. You were brilliant because they were wrong about everything. So if you didn't believe science at the beginning, if you were an actual science denier, you were smarter than science. Think about that for a minute, and think about that the next time you hear Dr. Fauci say that he's really concerned that people won't believe in science. Oh, no, they're not going to believe in it. One of the problems with science, we've talked about this a lot on the program, and we'll continue to talk about it because it is so incredibly important. Science, when they use the word science, that means fact, right? Science means that's it. It's the be-all and the end-all of the information. You cannot disagree with it. Or you're a flatter society member or blah, 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 right? Okay, they were wrong. They were wrong when it comes to climate change. So maybe they should quit. We should quit this. This politi- It's politicizing science. It's not science anymore. It's politics, Right? The World Health Organization, Dr. Fauci, Dr. Burks, all the other experts who came out and said it wasn't human-to-human transmission, masks weren't important, it was in response to President Trump imposing a travel ban, first on China, and then he extended it to Europe. So it was really the, boy, is this guy stupid, and the travel ban's not going to do anything, because unless you're eating a bat on the plane, you're totally cool, and it doesn't matter where you come from, we should just let everybody in. Stop the politics. It's either science or it's not. All this stuff, every single bit of it is about politics, period. It is what it is. So anyway, enough on the the whole science thing and the Dr. Fauci at the ballgame gig. Again, I'll just end it here. 
if you are going to be the leading person that goes around and lectures, you, you see what's going on. I mean, we got, we got people screaming and yelling at each other. We have people getting into fights because somebody doesn't have a mask on. But if you're going to be the leading person to lecture people about the importance of wearing a mask, probably a good idea to wear a mask when you're sitting in the stands at a baseball game. Just saying. We'll leave it there. You know, also watching everything that's going on in Portland, um, we've really gone to the tipping point here. And we can see it in, in sports now. We see all the baseball stuff that's going on with the Black Lives Matter, and it's on the painting it on the stadium walls in Boston. And everything, everything now is politics. It's all about politics. It's all about social justice. It's all about we've reached the tipping point. We reached the tipping point when we started tearing down George Washington, uh, Thomas Jefferson statues. Uh, we're tearing down Abraham Lincoln statues, for goodness sakes. We've reached the tipping point when this becomes okay. Look what's going on in Portland, Oregon right now, right? We are, we are so far beyond the tipping point, it's not even funny. I think going forward, prediction, you're not going to see a movie made anymore that's not some kind of a social justice message it's got to be you can't do history anymore right because yeah we can't be doing this stuff on george washington thomas you know slave owners and all that so it's really i think going to be ugly going forward but i've got to go back to 2017 and this was in the middle of the where president trump supposedly said that uh, neo-nazis are very fine people which he never said just like sarah palin didn't say she could see alaska from her backyard but I think about this because this guy has been right about so many things, and it's got to drive him nuts. As we know now, going back to the, the travel ban thing, right? We know now that that was a good idea. You won't, find, you won't hear a single one of them admit that that's the case, and that includes Dr. Fauci. But he was right about it. He was right about where we're at right now at the tipping point where we're tearing down Thomas Jefferson George Washington, Abraham Lincoln statues for crying out loud. This was the president in 2017. And I want you to listen to this interaction that he had with the media, right? Because no matter what he says, think about this. The big, big freak out right now in the country is about kids going back to school, right? Just imagine President Trump comes out and says, you know what? Um, I really don't think it's safe to send the kids back to school. You know exactly what the position of the teachers' unions would be. You know what Pelosi's position would be, Schumer's, every single one of them. Joe Biden, we got to get the kids back to school, right? Whatever he says, it's the opposite. So none of this stuff is based on science or anything else. It is 100% pure politics. But listen to this exchange that he had with the media back in 2017 and tell me which, who was right. You had people in that group that were there to protest the taking down of, to them, a very, very important statue and the renaming of a park from Robert E. Lee to another name. George Washington was a slave owner. Was George Washington a slave owner? So will George Washington now lose his status? Are we going to take down, excuse me, are we going to take down, are we going to take down statues to George Washington? How about Thomas Jefferson? What do you think of Thomas Jefferson? You like him? Okay, good. Are we going to take down the statue? Because he was a major slave owner. Now, are we going to take down his statue? So you know what? It's fine. You're changing history. You're changing culture. Not only is that an example 
of why they hate this guy. It's also an example that he's right more than he's wrong. But you, you heard the reporter in there, right? We love Thomas Jefferson, that same reporter, and everybody else in that room that was going, yeah, yeah, we love Thomas Jefferson, are now going, well, yeah, you, of course you got to take down his statue. He was a slave owner, right? See how quickly it changes. If he would have stood up there and said, I think we should take down those statues, imagine the media. Imagine what the media would have done with that. That's the danger of where we're at today. That and the tipping point where everything is social justice warrior this and social justice warrior that. This doesn't end well. This election, uh, the last one, I thought was really important. Um, This one is even more so. Do we want to go down Joe Biden's path? Which Joe Biden, let's be honest about this. There is no Joe Biden path. The Joe Biden path is AOC on this Bernie Sanders on that, uh, Nancy Pelosi on this, Chuck Schumer on this. Joe Biden has no path. Build back better, or as I call it, because he has no path. The guy has not a single idea of his own. This is a guy who spent 44 years, over 44 years, in politics. Remember Remember the the debate? between President Trump and Hillary Clinton, right? Where she was doing the same thing Biden's doing now. She, oh, she had all these ideas, fabulous ideas. Just she had a whole book full of great ideas. Her husband was the president of the United States for eight years. She spent 30 years in politics. But remember, remember, then-candidate Trump said, you know, 30 years you've been in politics, and now all of a sudden you've magically got all these answers. That's fantastic. Why didn't you do it during the 30 years? And she said, well, it's true that I did spend a lot of time in politics. He said, yeah, 30 years, and everybody laughed at her. That had to have been, well, the second most humiliating moment in Hillary Clinton's life. I think we all know what the first is. But he's, he's got Joe Biden now. Who spent 44 years? Did these people forget about that debate? And really, the amazing part of all of this, these people, since 2016, the left, they've learned absolutely nothing from that election. They're all just, here's the biggest mistake they're making. They are all just writing this off as well. Nobody really liked Hillary Clinton, okay? We didn't like her either, and, you know, we had to give her the shot, and it was her turn, and blah, blah, blah. Okay. And, and they think, you know, well, people like Joe Biden a little bit better. That wasn't why she lost. Okay. <laughs> it was partially why she lost, because, yeah, well, you know, I don't have to go into that. So, but here's the thing. Hillary Clinton, her only campaign, she had no path. She had no, well, here's what I would do, and here's the list of, she, she had no plan. Even, at least this guy's got his plan, right? At least he's got something. She had nothing. The only thing she had was that this guy's a horrible guy. But Biden, same thing. He's a horrible guy. This is, this is their campaign. This is how they campaign now. Democrats used to be pretty good at campaigning. They were, they were really good at it. Um, eight years of Barack Obama, we all remember that. That was great, two great campaigns. It is what it is. Now they're not. Now they're just 
vote for me because you hate this guy as much as I do. Yeah, that's, that's really not helpful to anybody, especially with all the things that were you – know, Joe Biden going around, and he's talking about how – and you've heard this, right? I mean, I, I'm not the only one hearing this – that they left a playbook. They left a playbook for President Trump for a future pandemic. Somehow, somehow they were able to sit down. I don't know if it was with mediums or um, – I don't know, somebody, somebody very prophetic apparently – they sat down and they figured out, okay, the next pandemic that happens, here's what it's going to be, and here's what the next president needs to do. Now, first of all, who of you believes that Joe Biden and Barack Obama would have lifted a finger to help President Trump? If there really was this magical playbook, this magical playbook would, would have been designed not to help President Trump. They hate President Trump. You think Barack Obama went, you know, we really got to help this guy out. Uh, let's sit down and figure this out. But, but okay, let, let's say that there really is. Let's say there's this magical, mystical playbook sitting somewhere in a desktop in the White House that was left by Joe Biden and Barack Obama. Have you noticed something? Do you hear Joe? Okay, if you really had the playbook, just, just okay, this is a guy who said if you elect him president, he's going to cure cancer. But only if you elect him. I mean, he could cure it today if he wanted to, but, you know, uh, you got to elect him first. So, so kind of, a, you know, you elect me and then I'll cure cancer, which is just brilliant. That, that'd make a great bumper sticker, by the way. But if there was this magical playbook, Joe, I'm sure all the media would be happy to schedule a one-hour time slot for you to stand up and go through the playbook. Tell us, what, what should we have done? Tell us, tell us the advice you gave for President Trump that would have solved all these problems. There wouldn't be any death. Nobody would have gotten the COVID-19. If you really got the playbook, Joe, let us see it. Tell us about it. Tell us now. What should we do now, Joe? There's no playbook, folks. Okay? There's no playbook. And if there was a playbook, it would be about as good as his program, right? Yes. Right. So let's get real here, and we always are real on this program. So speaking of Joe Biden, um, the guy's just unbelievable. This is a guy who has been plagiarizing people his entire life. Even, and, I'm, and I notice I didn't say his entire political life because it even it exceeds. It's even before he was a politician. He got kicked out of school for plagiarizing people. He's plagiarized. JFK for crying out loud. But there was this, there was a British guy that he loved to plagiarize and he did it multiple times. I don't know if you've ever heard this before. This is, this is back when we used to have actual journalism and they used to actually, I don't know, do random acts like Rush Limbaugh says, random acts of journalism. L listen to them because this is, this is them describing it. But here is Joe Biden and here is one of his most infamous. This is the, this is the one that knocked him out uh, the last time he ran for president, or I guess two times before that. And check this out. Why am I the first Kinnick in a thousand generations to be able to get the university? Why is Glenys the first woman in her family in a thousand generations to be able to get the university? You're thinking of us coming over here. Why is it that Joe Biden is the first in his family ever to go to a university. Why is it that my wife is sitting out there in the audience 
is the first in her family to ever go to college. Was it because all our predecessors were thick? Did they lack talent? Those people who could sing and play and recite and write poetry? Is it because our fathers and mothers were not bright? Is it because I'm the first Biden in a thousand generations to get a college and a graduate degree that I was smarter than the rest? Those same people who read poetry and wrote poetry and taught me how to sing verse? <laughs> so you get the point, right? This, the guy's a fraud. There is, an, it, there is no Joe Biden. We get Joe Biden as president of this country. It's AOC. It's Bernie Sanders. It's all these people. It's whoever he picks for his VP, right? There is no, there is no person, Joe Biden. He has no views on anything. This, this guy has been on every side of every issue. The name... And it's, it's like the military industrial complex, but now it's the prison industrial complex, whatever. That's him. It was the Biden bill. It was literally called the Biden bill. There's, there's clips of him saying it, of, of proposing all of these things that have brought us to where we're at now. You know what? He's against it. He's against it. It's those darn Republicans. <laughs> it was called the Biden bill. I don't know what to tell you. It is what it is. But the guy, the guy, you just heard that. It's insane. This is a guy who, what was it, about a year ago, I think, he made the comment that, remember, China was there. They're not, not even our, we're, we're not even competing with China. Did you know this? Did you know we weren't even competing with China? Joe knew it, and here's what he had to say. Now, I'm sure now he's on the other side of this as well. We can do all we need to do without punishing anybody. China is going to eat our lunch. Come on, man. They're not bad folks, folks. But guess what? They're not a they're, they're not, not, they're competition for us. They're not even competition for us. Wow. Wow. Now, again, I'm sure today he's on the exact opposite side of that. But I think the main thing is, is at least Joe understands that it's really important that, you know, we get our kids to market. Right. Did you hear this one? Did, did you hear this? What in the hell does it mean to get your kids to market? To get our people to work and our kids to school safely, to get our kids to market swiftly, to power clean energy revolution in this country we need to modernize america's infrastructure wow that sounds absolutely fantastic so here's what i would recommend joe biden if he wins maybe we could do like uh i don't know what would be a great name for it how about uh, shovel ready jobs how that wouldn't that be fantastic we spent 800 billion dollars on shovel ready jobs that would be super fantastic i think that's that would be a great idea right and joe biden joe biden could lead it he could remember they could they could put together a website where you would know exactly where every dollar is spent and you could keep you could keep an eye on the progress of the projects. Wouldn't that be fantastic? Oh what? Oh we already did that. That's right. My bad. We already did that. And Joe Biden was the guy in charge of the website that never even existed. They never even created eight hundred billion dollars. They couldn't even create a website. There was no website. There was nothing that told you where one. Any of that money went. I'll tell you where the money went. Remember, remember, because we were gonna, we were gonna hire teachers and and firefighters and police officers. Oh, it's gonna be super fantastic. No, it went to shore up unions. 
pensions, state pensions, private pensions. That's where it went. That's why there was no website. $800 billion. Huge slush fund. That's exactly what it was. That's all it was. Not a single teacher was hired. Not a single firefighter was hired. Not a single police officer was hired. It was a slush fund. It was a lie. And as Barack Obama said himself, well, shovel-ready jobs weren't so shovel-ready after all. Remember that? Yeah, I remember that. And that was Joe Biden's project. So there is no Joe Biden. He has no plan. And this will be run by a coalition of far-left radical lunatics like AOC. AOC will be the – AOC, the one who thinks that the, that the people in Portland are trying to burn down the federal building, well, you know, they just need a loaf of bread. Maybe this has to do with the fact that people aren't paying their rent and are scared to pay their rent. And so they go out and they need to feed their child and they don't have money, mm-hmm. so you – Maybe they have money, to, they're, they're put in a position where they feel like they either need to shoplift some bread or go hungry mm. that night. See, that's what they're doing. They're just, you know, just grabbing a loaf of bread, you know, for the kids. The idiocy in that very, very short, brief clip. This is a woman who can encapsulate stupidity in a very short amount of time. So I give her credit for that. I think that's a, a huge tribute to her. Afraid to pay the rent? What makes you afraid to pay your rent? But if they didn't pay their rent, then don't they still have the money to buy the loaf of bread? See, because none of that really makes any sense at all. But according to her, they're just, you know, you burn down a building because you need a loaf of bread. All right. We will be right back with my good friend. He is the editor of People's Pundit Daily.com, Mr. Richard Barris, right after this. Have you ever been frustrated when you go to the doctor and are asked to fill out forms over and over again? And you're asked for information that you don't remember, or you have to submit the same form to multiple organizations. And each time you are asked to fill out the same form by hand. What about filling out business or legal forms, all manually? Maybe you've spent a lot of time filling out a form, made sure that everything is correct, and oops, the person who re-entered the data into the computer system made several mistakes. Why couldn't you do it from home in advance, where you could find all of the necessary documents? Now you can at Formateer.com. The next time you need a form filled out, the information can be found right at your fingertips. If you're an individual, you may find some forms ready to use on Formateer.com, or we may be able to create a custom form for you at a very low cost or no cost at all. If you're a small business, Formateer.com will be happy to create a set of forms or a complete data entry solution for your business needs. If you're a business that provides software, IT solutions, or both to another business, Formateer.com has a great solution for you as well. Our parent company, RenderX, provides software and solutions to a very diversified group, from individuals to Fortune 500 companies. Even the United States government budget is formatted with RenderX software. With Formateer.com, customers can fill out forms from their homes in advance when and where they have all the required information, or they can edit information that has changed if they filled out the form previously. No writing for them, no data re-entry for you. Form filling solutions for businesses or individuals at Formateer.com. That's Formateer.com. And here is our newly remodeled hotel business center. Lobby disk drive computer, dot matrix printer, and modem. A modem? That's right. Dial up. Hello. Need a new way to work when you're on the road? Regis has over 1,100 professional business lounges. 
access to meeting rooms with video conference studios, private offices you can book by the hour or day, and a mobile app to find Regis locations. Regis is the new way to work. Call now and get two months free. Your mom's got your back. Your friends have your back. Your dog's definitely got your back. But who's got your back when you need legal help? We do. We're LegalZoom. And over the last 10 years, we've helped millions of people protect their families and run their businesses. We have the right people on hand to answer your questions, backed by a trusted network of attorneys. So visit us today for legal help you can count on. LegalZoom. Legal help is here. This is Don Smith from The Don Smith Show. As a conservative talk show host, there is one undeniable truth. Nobody is more uplifting and inspiring than the Democrats. I've always envied them for this. In fact, one could almost say with the new crop that has just come into Congress, they light up our lives. The world is going to end in 12 years if we don't address climate change. means call me a radical maybe we shouldn't be eating a hamburger for breakfast lunch and dinner is it okay to still have children I just pity you for your role in history right now. At least I'm not trying to cage children in the border and inject them with drugs. Hi, this is Chuck Woolery. You're listening to The Don Smith Show, where it's okay to be a conservative. It's great to have my next guest on. He is the editor of People's Pundit Daily.com. His name is Richard Barris. Rich, welcome back to the show. Hey, my friend. Thanks for having me back. How are we doing this week? We are living the dream yourself. I actually am living the dream, the American dream. <laughs> I am doing well, Indeed. my friend. Doing well. I'm doing Good. well. Well, let's get right into this. You've got uh, some good news here when it comes to home sales. You know, you would think this would be one of the things really impacted by COVID-19, people not wanting to move around, those kind of things. You know firsthand, but also tell us about the report on new home sales. 
Don, this was a big deal because during the, let's say, let's call it the Trump boom, the Trump economy pre-COVID, and we've spoken about this before, housing was like that, uh, you know, say the economy is firing on all four cylinders. Housing was that fourth cylinder. It didn't quite uh, get there, a lot, a lot of positive data, but we really didn't see it in new residential sales, which is what the new home sales report is in the census and uh, HUD. It's a joint report. Um, you know, but they were they were strong. They were good. It's a very volatile report, but they weren't really booming yet, and we hadn't seen them get back to pre-Great Recession uh, numbers like we had seen all of the other indicators and in the other sectors of the economy, major sectors. Housing was showing with builder confidence that the confidence in, in uh, the market for single-family homes was at record highs, um, you know, first it hit the highest level since uh, like 20 years or 15 years, and then it, uh, it, it started to touch around that 76, 77 level, which is the, the new high. But we weren't seeing it, in, you know, housing permits were starting to build up. The beginning of 2020 started to open it up, and you really saw housing starts, building permits, and new residential sales start to boom. This month, a consensus was only for 700,000. I say only because Barack Obama would have cut off his left arm for a number like that. His, his, his reports were abysmal under his administration. But this came in at 776,000, easily beating the forecast. It was about a 14, almost 14% gain. The high forecast range was only 720. And before the pandemic and the shot, I don't even want to say before the pandemic, before the stupidity of the shutdown, that peaked at 774 in January. That was it was ready. The housing was kicking in. That four cylinder was kicking in, and everything was getting ready to pop. That was the highest level in January since for new home sales since before the Great Recession. Or you have to go all the way back to July of 2007. And if this figure for June holds, it will be the new high. So it just goes to show you there's a lot of voices out there. The National Association of Realtors, Realtors.com, all of those folks. And they have been arguing, you know, uh, Yoon, he's the chief economist, and then they are. He has been arguing, and so have the people who run the housing market index, the builder confidence index, that housing will lead the post-pandemic recovery. And it was getting, you could see it in the numbers. It was getting ready to pop. And then COVID hit, and it impacted it for April. But this thing bounced back real quick, Don. Even May was revised up from 672 to 682. This is really good news. Because, of course, the market, the labor market was strong before this, and that is what leads to home ownership and home sales. You need people to have jobs. You need them to have rising wages. They need to feel like they could take a leap and run after that American dream. But it wasn't really there yet. It wasn't at the potential that we knew was, was there. You know, and it just started in the beginning of the year. I was worried it was going to get derailed. And it doesn't look like it's going to be. I mean, it, 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 it looks like that those voices were right, that housing could lead the post-pandemic bounce. Well, and let's talk about this because, Rich, this is kind of what surprised me a little bit about that good news is we did have jobless claims um, kind of tick up higher for the week. And so how does that kind of tie in? Because you would expect only new home sales to really boom when everybody, like, like you said, the pre-COVID-19 numbers of unemployment, you would expect a major boom for that. But how do, how do we tie that all together and tell us a little bit about the jobless claims? Yeah, so I think, Don, some of this is uh, the labor market was a lot stronger 
uh, pre-pandemic than we gave it credit for. I, I, I would I don't know if I'm putting that right, but it was a lot stronger than any of us uh, thought. Jobless claims when this happened, you know, I I had, and others as well. I'm not the only one had said this would happen with jobless claims. There were two things that are that are going on. That provision in the CARES Act to allow people to continue co- to collect extended unemployment benefits. And to get, um, in some cases, they're making more money than they would if they would stay home. That was stupid. I mean, there's just nowhere else to put it. You can blame the Democrats, <laughs> and you can blame the Republicans who allowed the Democrats to get away with it. There were people. Tim Scott, um, he got silenced, you know, and the McConnells and everybody said, we have a deal, enough. Steve Mnuchin is probably, I, you know, I got to criticize him. He's killing the Trump administration on these negotiations with Congress. He's given away everything to the Democrats. I'm really tired of like trying to come up with um, excuses and finding silver linings. That's not what I do. You know, it's just not who I am. I'm getting sick of people doing it. You know, the bottom line is this was very predictable. And then you have what what else was predictable was that Democrats, of course, would try to shut this economy back down again, or at least. Pause the phase openings uh, post uh, the shutdown. And then, we, of course, they've succeeded in a lot of these areas, even in Texas. Let's be honest. Abbott Cave, didn't he? I mean, two hospitals were having mm-hmm. overflow problems. That's it. Two hospitals. This is younger people getting sick. Death counts in Florida now. Um, they lag, of course, but the new cases being reported, we are now at that peak, Don. That is past, and there really was not a soaring death rate because – we're looking at a different population that were getting sick, and it ran through the most vulnerable first, and then it went to the rest of the population. When we shut the economy down, all we did was prevent the virus from being able to make its way through the population. That's how these things – I don't know how we got so arrogant to think that we could stop a virus. Like We're getting, really getting godlike syndrome here. All we did was – pause and prevent it. And the minute everybody else went outside, it had to take its natural toll. It doesn't mean the death count soared any higher. It really didn't. The bottom line is Democrats were successful, though, with the media at their back, helping them with the handicap, and they, they, they stifled the recovery when it comes to uh, unemployment. And that's a shame, because unemployment, as it is ticking down, it could have ticked down a lot more. A lot more jobs could have been created. We have Small Business Administration data saying over 80% of small business jobs were saved from the PPP, the Payroll Protection Program, Paycheck Protection Program. And they should have let that work its course. And then, you know, it was too late with that unemployment provision. But if they extend this, on, if they extend it, then they will cement persistently high unemployment benefits. Yep. Yeah. Well, we talk a lot, Rich, about about the economy, and we talk about um, obviously it's a very important thing for all Americans. It's a very important thing globally. But let's talk about this because since March, since the very beginning of March, we've been seeing this impact of the COVID. Uh, we've been seeing the impact. I think more from the media, from the the scare tactics. Uh, uh, I mean, you know, Florida. You, you know the the news here that we've been hearing now for several weeks, basically ever since they announced that the RNC was going to be here in Florida, which has now been uh, been canceled by President Trump. But but let's talk about this, because I think this has a huge impact on all of this stuff, on everybody's psyche. If you live in Florida, even if you don't, you are seeing Florida as being, oh, my God, it's, it's just, I, I mean, it's Armageddon here, Rich. I mean, there's bo- we're stepping over bodies in the streets, apparently, if you watch the media, the breathless 
uh, I mean, just the, the way that they put this stuff. I've been watching these numbers, Rich. We are, uh, when you look at death rates, we are number eight in the nation. We have not moved up. So right. all, throughout all this time of daily records and bodies everywhere and Armageddon, we are still the eighth state. Now, the one thing that we are is we're the first state on the death rate chart that has a Republican governor. Talk a little bit about that, because this has a huge impact on forecasts, on uh, Wall Street, on home sales, on all of these things, people going back to work or not going back to work. Talk a little bit about that in the the irresponsible way that the media has just driven this fear. Yeah, and from where we, uh, you know, lived and just came from, uh, we watched, you know, 20, 22-year-old uh, college girls and, and, and boys, you know, wearing, like, full-on respirators, Don. I mean, <laughs> in the end, this could backfire on them when it comes to voting, you know. I mean, if anybody who's ever lived in a college town before or has been in politics for years, then you know um, yeah, that – these age, this age group needs to be prodded to vote, meaning tables out in the common areas, you know, go vote, request your ballot. Um, so in the end, this is all driven by politics because Ron DeSantis's approval rating is so high, and it remains strong. But his approval rating was approaching high 60s, which is unheard of in Florida, uh, but it, because it's such a polarized state. So. He became a target because of that. I mean, I, I really, at some points, you got to get real. I mean, they, they follow the, po- the political story. The, the media, they don't – I hate to break it to everybody, but they, they don't give a damn about infections. They don't care if you get sick. They don't care if your kid's education gets stunted because they scared you into closing down your schools. They don't care if your husband or your mother or whoever lost their job. They don't care. They care about politics. It informs every decision their news desk makes. And that's why Ron DeSantis, unfortunately, became their target. Meanwhile, he did, like you said, third most populous state, eight on the death count list. That's a pretty – and by the way, with, an, with a population which has mm-hmm. an age above the national average, which means yep. the state should have been more vulnerable. All indications that the man did a good job. And, of course, that's not what drives it. What, drive it. what drives it is the political story. They know that if they can carry the state of Florida, they'll make it very difficult for Donald Trump to win the Electoral College, even though he could have lost it last time and still won. Um, but they know that that's the case. You know, so if you look, by the way, another state where they politicized everything and the governor was more willing to help them was Michigan. Don't you think it's a little bit convenient that those are the two states that could shut down Donald Trump very early in the night, Don? I mean, doesn't, mm-hmm. does anyone think that's a coincidence, right? And she mm-hmm. destroyed, uh, created uh, what could be a long-term uh, unemployment issue in that state for politics, for political reasons. And that's a real shame, but that is the lens that they see the world through. And, you know, this was never a debate about, well, it's money versus life. And, um, you know, I'm not even going to mention his name, but on Twitter yesterday, this guy is like, you can't be pro-life and advocate kids going back to school in a pandemic. Mm-hmm. The seasonal right. flu kills far more kids each year than coronavirus will ever. Guess what? Pneumonia is even worse. That's fear porn, and that's one of the many yep. platitudes that we see that come along with these ignorant statements, Right. But again, that's a political statement. It's not a statement backed by data or science or anything. 
and amazing that the side that's supposed to worship at the altar of these things has completely abandoned them for political, you know, political gain. Exactly. Well, yeah, and Rich, if, if you actually pull up the numbers, which I do on a daily basis, I'm following this thing, I want to know what the real data is. I don't want the media to tell me, you, you mentioned the important states. You mentioned Florida, Michigan being really important states. What are the other two states we hear about the most? Arizona and Texas. So Texas is a state that the Democrats right. think they can win this time. They're going to turn it blue. And Arizona, same thing, which has been kind of pink for a while anyway. But you're right. If you look at the numbers, though, if you, if, first of all, if you just listen to the news, you think Governor Andrew Cuomo just, I mean, rocked this thing. This guy was so brilliant. He was an amazing guy. His approval numbers have actually gone up. Rich, they have 32,500 deaths. In the state of New York, which is the fourth most populated state, you made a great point. This is the retirement capital of the, of the country, maybe the world, here in Florida. So we should have been by far the most vulnerable. But 32,500 deaths means you, you somehow you're some kind of genius. You just nailed this thing. Florida, 5,500 deaths. And Ron DeSantis is, I've seen hashtags, death DeSantis. Uh, I've seen all kinds of nasty yeah. things every day. There's a, there's a resign DeSantis hashtag going on. You would think this guy was just horrible. But this is the politics of it, Rich. Yeah, basically, too, Don, uh, some of those, not some, a good percentage of those deaths in New, in New York were essentially you could categorize them not as COVID deaths. That was democide. The government mm -hmm. made policy decisions that resulted in the deaths of elderly senior citizens that were in nursing homes. Nobody, nobody, you know, that was that was a policy decision. That was a bad policy decision using inaccurate, incomplete, or just bad data, bad decision making, and he killed those people. I mean, that's not a mm -hmm. that's not hyperbole. People who People who signed orders that forced uh, you know, the, the infected patients back into nursing homes did so because their data was telling them they were going to have hospitalizations uh, overburden the system. And that is not that's, – that really, with the exception of a few areas, that's not what happened. What did happen was they, they took those patients, moved them to nursing homes, and unfortunately, that was to the death and detriment of those who were there that were not infected. And that's, uh, that is something that gets – could you uh, play the Imagine If game for a moment? Play the Imagine If game and imagine Donald Trump signed an executive order and that all the governors were forced to do what Andrew Cuomo and others did because Wolf did it. Uh, Murphy did it. Think about if that was him and those deaths were avoidable deaths, and it was a bad decision because they made it using bad information. It never happened, and on the hospitalization count, by the way. Florida is another great example, but we see this everywhere. Everyone says, well, the hospitalizations are increasing. The rate of hospitalizations for the flu is rising higher than the rate of hospitalizations for coronavirus. The same is true of pneumonia. When this pandemic broke out, pneumonia deaths just fell off the map as if nobody was dying from pneumonia anymore, which is one of the most deadly uh, seasonal uh, – uh, right. I mean, if anybody follows CDC burden estimates, right? So it, it, they pretend like hospitalizations are only being fueled by coronavirus, and that's not the case. In Florida, they have the dashboard, folks. You can all go look at it yourself, and you can see the rate of hospitalization increases from 
the flu and they compare it themselves to the coronavirus. The rate is higher from the flu. So some of this stuff, and the same is true of Texas, by the way, and there were two places in Texas where that was uh, really a problem. I'm talking about hospitalizations. Even during the height of the pandemic in New York, we were talking about isolated areas. It was not a statewide issue where hospitals were overflowing. And yet he gave a blanket order that impacted the entire state. And it was unfortunate because those, those, that was not uh, pandemic-related deaths. Those were bad decisions. I mean, I know people don't want to say that, and it sounds horrible, but it's true. Those people would be – I mean, it's, it's at least plausible, and you can make an argument to say thousands of them might be alive if he didn't do that, right? I mean, it's yep. not – this isn't yep. hyperbole. If he did not do it, they would not have been exposed. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. So, but yeah, according to the media, though, he is the, you know, he, he really hammered this thing. He really nailed it. So I want to, I want to make a point because you brought something up and I want to kind of close out on this because you brought a point up about how this isn't about caring about the kids. It's not about caring about th- that. That can also be applied to what we're seeing with the protests around the country. It's not about George. We're so far away from George Floyd at this point. It's not even funny, but, but these politicians, that are saying the things they're saying. Chuck Schumer, on the, on the floor of the Senate earlier in the week, called George Floyd, he referred to him as Floyd Taylor and George Taylor. It, it, within like three seconds of each other, he got his name wrong twice. They don't even know the man's name. Here was Nancy Pelosi. This was earlier this week. This was on the House of the, of the, floor, this is the floor of the House. Here's what Nancy Pelosi had to say about the George Floyd protests. Carry that. And I'm very proud before the Judiciary Committee that before he testified, he said to me, Madam Speaker, do you think that I can tell George's daughter that his name will be always remembered because you will name the bill for him? And I said, well, I'll recommend that to the Judiciary Committee and to the, uh, to the Congressional Black Caucus who have shaped the bill. But I only will do that if you tell me that this legislation is worthy of George Kirby's name. And he said it is. And so we're very proud. They're very proud, Rich. They don't even know the man's name yet. <laughs> I mean, look, that's just, uh, again, it really goes to the point I, uh, I made uh, like five minutes mm-hmm. ago. Everything is through the lens, Don. Everything is through the lens of politics. And you know, I could just tell people it really it, – it's not that it wasn't always like this. It just wasn't always so outward, and there was this line, right? It's not there anymore. It's gone. It was disappearing under Obama, but it's totally mm-hmm. gone now under Donald Trump, um, you know, which is why uh, you know, I, I, I just I, – we were talking about polling uh, yesterday on the show, and there's this level of – distrust and dissatisfaction they they don't even want to they may think that you you may take their answer and lie about it it's because everything is politicized and people feel that right they can is there when is the last time nancy pelosi made a statement that wasn't uh like wasn't pre-planned or or directed with some political end when was the last time she just made a normal statement that had nothing to do now i know i understand she's a political animal so i don't want to sound like a ridiculous ideal uh, you know idealistic person here i'm simply saying she didn't even bother to get herself educated on it yet and she jumps into the political attack and the angle right 
And it's yep. it's hurting every aspect of society. It really is. And it's got to come to a head before it gets better, I think. Yeah, it's gotten dangerous at this point. So, Rich, inside the numbers, it's my listeners, when they right. go there, yeah. Yeah. it is. Yeah, it is. So what do you got going on this week inside the numbers? So this week, we're going to talk a little bit because we're getting closer to this election. And I, uh, not that I want to contribute to this, but election integrity is everything. And, you know, Trump is hammering this thing. Maybe he says things a little bit wrong. He doesn't get every facet of the argument right. But these mail-in efforts, uh, we're going to explain why there's just this myth out there that all we're trying to do is what we've been doing with absentee voting. That's not true. We're going to talk about that in great detail. We're also going to talk about some indictments that come down, never get any attention whatsoever. You know, We now have enough indictments to pretty much conclusively say that Hillary Clinton's total in the state of Pennsylvania, is her official vote total, is likely overblown. And we know this from indictments that have happened that have got no media coverage. So we're going into this election, and it's being mocked and ridiculed. Nobody has the cojones to touch this thing, and we're going to get into it. We're going to go state by state. I'm going to show people how many of these inactive voters, how many of these dead voters, dead, Don, dead, are mm-hmm. on the voter roll still, and yet will get ballots mailed to them. All right, and uh, we're asking people, by the way, we've gotten a few. It was an idea somebody on Twitter gave me. If you're getting ballots or ballot requests or, you know, their secretary of election uh, of state or supervisor of elections, whatever state you live in, whatever official it is, send you multiple ballots for residents who no longer mm-hmm. live at your address. We want to see mm-hmm. them. Send them to editor at People's Pundit Daily. Contact at People's Pundit Daily. We have dozens of them already. And if uh, you didn't have character, there is nothing stopping you from filling out those ballots and mailing them in because Democrats don't (laughs) want signature match. They don't want voter ID. There are no verification procedures. So uh, we're going – we really – we're going to get into that. It's going to take me a week just to do it. There's so many to go over. It's unbelievable. Well, as soon as the show's over, you've got two of them coming from me. So we've got we've got two of them, and I won't use the exact name, but they <laughs> but, but check check this out. check this out, Rich. It's like John Jones and then John Jones the <laughs> second. They're so original. So you've got two of them coming your way from us here as soon as the show's over. Hey, great interview, everybody. Check out peoplespunditdaily.com. Come on, anybody who can come on and squeeze in cojones into an interview, hey, that's good stuff. Rich, have a great weekend. We'll talk to you again next week. <laughs> All the best, my friend. Talk to you next week. All right, Richard Bears, peoplespunditdaily.com. Check out his show, Inside the Numbers. Good stuff there, too. So it is time for our weekly Vets in the Fight Sarah brought to us by our friends at Special Operations Speaks. Hello, all you vets in the fight. This is David Miller with your weekly Special Operations Speaks Vets in the Fight sit rep. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. 2 Timothy 3.1 Warnings from God of the very days we are in. These descriptions fit some 2,000 years later the common enemy of civilized mankind. Communism. The modern communist wears many faces and is doing the work of their founding fathers, not the American founders under vicious attack today but those anti-Western atheist revolutionaries, Marx, Engels, Lenin, Stalin, Mao, ad nauseum. 
Consider, if you will, recent statements by the Marxist leaders and advocates in our own country. Television personality, rapper, writer, and so on, Nick Cannon was fired by Viacom CBS for anti-Semitic remarks he made on his podcast, apparently recorded last year and aired two weeks ago, stating that blacks were the true Hebrews and that Jews usurped their identity. Whites, in general, did not escape his omniscience either. He claims that those without dark skin have a, quote, deficiency that historically forced them to act out in fear and commit acts of violence to survive. They had to be savages, Cannon said, adding that he was referring to Jewish people, white people, Europeans, among others. The National Museum of African American History and Culture claims that self-reliance, objective rational thinking, hard work, the nuclear family, and being polite are among the aspects and assumptions of white culture in the United States. This is on the whiteness page of their website. Does that mean that dependence on the God state, muddled minds, slothfulness, fatherless children, and thoughtlessness are the gold standard? There is also a section entitled White Dominant Culture, with a subsection on white supremacy. <laughs> nice to know that our tax dollars are being used to slit our own throats. One last example is from the BLM website itself, Black Lives Matter. A few beliefs from the What We Believe drop down. We make space for transgender brothers and sisters to participate and lead. We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by supporting each other as extended families and villages that collectively care for one another, especially our children, to the degree that mothers, parents, and children are comfortable. We embody and practice justice, liberation, and peace in our engagements with one another. Read that other Marxist down for the struggle. Take note that BLM is a global network. Their full name is the Black Lives Matter Global Foundation of like-minded communist revolutionaries using people of color as a front for the violent overthrow of Western civilization. Tometi, Con Colors, and Garza, co-founders of BLM, are hardcore revolutionaries. Self-proclaimed trained Marxists, they espouse coexistence with comrades of all persuasions, not all people, just the ones they approve. It's somehow fitting that Tometi was born in Nigeria where 1,200 Christians were slaughtered by jihadists in the first six months of 2020. Her birth nation is no stranger to genocide as a means of brotherly love, but I suppose that's just the white privilege creeping out. Does Thousand Currents ring a bell? It may not. They are a charity that manages fundraising operations for the national arm of Black Lives Matter that includes on its board a convicted terrorist and former member of the Weather Underground, Susan Rosenberg, whose sentence was commuted by none other than President Bill Clinton. They are a pass-through of millions of dollars for BLM especially and other leftist groups as well, in effect a money laundering mechanism. Tragically, these examples are just the tip of the iceberg. According to the Independent Sentinel, there are 66 major communist groups operating within our shores. DiscoverTheNetworks.org lists hundreds of anti-American groups, literally from A to Z, that are operational here, and many of these are interconnected by foundations, such as George Soros's Open Society Foundations, with over $10 billion in assets as of 2017, and the Allstate Foundation, which has supported such groups as La Raza, Planned Parenthood, and ACORN. We are not in good hands. Our time has come. AR-15s and mountains of ammo will not do enough. 
We, especially us veterans, must educate our families against the onslaught of corrosive Marxist indoctrination. Public schools are incubators of future American haters. Just this week, Wake County, North Carolina schools announced they will include BLM and LGBTQ plus propaganda in their curriculum, and soon it will be in your school. Allowing our children to continue in public so-called education is tantamount to the most vile child abuse imaginable. This is David Miller for Special Operations Speaks and Butts in a Fight Everywhere. Keep your powder dry and your hatchet scoured. If we take a knee and bow to anyone, let it be to God Almighty and never to man, that he may keep and bless our exceptional republic. Deo Presso Liber. In salute to those who've protected us and our families, we'd like to return the favor. Military veterans and their families get 30 days free and 15% off LifeLock identity theft protection. of your life. Sleep Number Beds with Sleep IQ technology adjust any way you want it. The bed that moves you, only at a Sleep Number store. Let's say you need to take care of legal matters. Wouldn't it be nice if there was an easier, less expensive option than using a traditional lawyer? Well, LegalZoom came up with a better way. We took the best of the old and combined it with modern technology. Together you get quality services on your terms with total customer support. LegalZoom documents have been accepted in all 50 states, and they're backed by a 100% satisfaction guarantee. So go to LegalZoom.com today and see for yourself. It's law, but just makes sense. Wouldn't it be nice if there was an easier, less expensive option than a traditional lawyer? At LegalZoom, you get personalized services for your family and your business that's 100% guaranteed. So go to LegalZoom.com today for personalized, affordable legal protection. Been looking for an online gathering place? You know, a familiar screen does everything you're used to, except give you grief for being a conservative? You've got to try the Tea Party community. At TPC, you'll know how everything works from the very first minute, and you'll probably find a lot of friends who are already there. Organize, communicate, share ideas, upcoming events, pictures and videos. The Tea Party community connects and empowers like-minded, politically conservative people. Like you, sign up today at teapartycommunity.com. Building owners, you got to clean up your act. You got to retrofit. You got to save energy. If you don't do it by 2030, there will be serious fines as high as a million dollars or more for the biggest buildings. And this mandate is going to guarantee that we reduce emissions. We're going to ban the classic glass and steel skyscrapers. that any other person who has um, engaged in those acts uh, would certainly 
have been indicted. In the fight not only to defeat Trump and his racism and his sexism and his homophobia, this is a time for the American people to come together in the fight for economic justice, social justice, racial justice, and environmental justice. And that is, that is what this campaign is about. I think most Americans, not just Democrats, would agree with it. We all, anybody who's got a half a brain, agrees that there is climate change and that human activity has caused it. And we better do something about it or we're going to be cooked or certainly our children are going to be cooked. Just because I work at home doesn't mean I want to look like I do. That's why I'm building my corporate image with a Regis virtual office. I simply use one of Regis's 750 high-profile business addresses as my own. My calls are answered by a professional receptionist in my company's name. And when I need to meet, Regis offers conference rooms and furnished offices. With all this and more from just $150 a month, that works for me. So try it today, and you'll even get one month free. Just call 888-OFFICES or visit Regis.com. That's R-E-G-U-S.com. Hi, this is former Congressman, Lieutenant Colonel Retired Alan West. Hi, this is Benny Shapiro, New York Times bestselling author of Bullies. I'm Charity Daniels, and I'm on the Don Smith Show, where it is okay. In fact, it's wonderful to be a conservative. Hey, welcome back to the program. We've got my interview with Pete Hegseth coming up here in just a minute, but I uh, wanted to pay tribute. Obviously, I'm going to keep the Charlie Daniels thing. I mean, uh, the guy was an amazing guy, and I'm going to keep it on there as a tribute. Um, always great to have him on the program. He was one of the coolest people to interview, and um, but we lost another Patriot um, here just overnight. And um, Lloyd Marcus, he was a Tea Party icon. The guy was amazing. He was on the Tea Party Express back in the day. Um, was a privilege to have him on the program a couple times, meet him at a couple events, and just a truly amazing guy. So uh, RNP, RIP, uh, Mr. Lloyd Marcus, really sad news here this morning, in case he hadn't heard that. So Anyway, this is my uh, interview with Pete Hegseth. This was a couple months ago, and uh, obviously another true patriot. Um, real honor to have him on the program. So without further ado, here is my sit-down with Pete Hegseth. Pete Hegseth, welcome to the Don Smith Show. Don, thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This is fantastic. Pete, I love the book. It's amazing. What was your motivation behind the writing of this? Well, thank you very much. I, yeah, I didn't want to write a book for the sake of writing one. My motivation was that I felt like, um, humbly felt like maybe there was something to be added to the conversation at what I feel like is a, a very consequential moment. I think we were at a crossroads as a country. Um, we used to have two patriotic parties that disagreed on the margins, or at least in a, in a, in a sense that there was a, a shared love of country. And now you've got those of us who love the country, conservatives, patriots, supporters of the president, um, staring down at a Democrat party that's completely captured by leftists. And, and thank God Donald Trump won the way that he did in 2016, and hopefully he must win again in 2020. But the scarier part of it and the research I did going into the book is how far our culture and our educational system and, and all of really the bedrock 
um, organizations of our society have been totally succumbed to leftist rot. And you, you know, politics is a lagging indicator. So if you're if you if you're able to win in politics, it doesn't mean you're winning the winning the overall conversation about whether America is actually a good country, whether we should actually go with the free market or socialism. So I think we are truly in a us against them moment, uh, and who wins will will chart the course for whether or not America survives. So that was the intent uh, behind American Crusade. You know, and I think the book, first of all, is just so timely. But, but Pete, it, it was timely even before coronavirus, which I think now it's even more timely because we're talking about our freedoms. I mean, we've got American citizens demanding that the government take away our freedoms. Now we're watching uh, the George Floyd, which is a horrible situation, but we're watching the protests that are taking place, which may erode more of our freedoms. Talk a little bit about the timeliness of this book, even more so now with coronavirus and, and the, the protest looting going on. Well, I appreciate uh, you saying that because it was uh, you know, obviously accidental in that you uh, couldn't have foreseen those things, and the manuscript was turned in before COVID-19. And, and then here we are in a, you know, the subtitle of the book is Our Fight to Stay Free, and we are literally in a, fright, in a fight to stay free, especially in the lockdown Democrat-controlled states where, you know, I'm, I'm in New Jersey, unfortunately, where our governor said early on, exposing himself, that um, you know, the Bill of Rights is above his pay grade, and that is how the left views um, citizens and their rights and whether they're endowed by a creator. And they want control and they want power. And, and hopefully this is the silver lining of this lockdown is that, you know, people who are not overtly political, I call it the revolt of the hairdressers and the hair salon owners and the gym owners and the tattoo artists, uh, they may not be overtly political, but they're entrepreneurs and they work hard and they know, they know uh, their value and they know their rights. And they're looking around saying, wait, um, since when are you able to tell me I can't earn a living in this country? So, yeah, it is every day is a fight to stay free. And, and we're seeing it before our eyes on television and across the country. And hopefully this helps people get motivated to do more. Well, let's talk about that because above the pay grade, you're talking about the governor of, of the great state of New Jersey. But he made that comment. But Pete, the more, I think the more disturbing comment he made was he didn't even consider the Bill of Rights when he passed the things that he passed. I mean, how scary is that? Well, it's terrifying. But, but, but part of what I break out in the book, too, is that it's also not surprising. I mean, the, the left has decoupled, um, not, not to get too in the weeds, but they've decoupled the, the, the sentiment of the Declaration of Independence, the soul of our nation, from the Constitution, which is the body. And when you do that, you get rid of the core truths uh, about why we were founded and where our rights come from, endowed to us by a creator, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, um, all, all the, you know, the divine intervention, all the things that the Declaration declares that are important to us as a free people, if you split the two up and you say it's only the Constitution, then you'll morph the Constitution into whatever you want it to be. It becomes a living document for your own priorities. And so, you know, mm-hmm. Phil Murphy would say, oh, I'm for the Constitution, except he doesn't – he wants his own interpretation of it, which has nothing to do with individual freedom and equal justice and everything to do with the leftist agenda. So it is partly scaring, but part, partly scary, but partly extremely telling because uh, they, they have their own agenda. It doesn't have to do with, with the reason why this country was founded. 
Exactly. And I think there's a key part in your book that really jumped out at me, Pete, and, and I want to talk more about this because I think it leads to everything that we're hearing from, uh, whether it's Governor Murphy or whether it's Governor Whitmer or uh, various governors across the country watching this play out in the great your great state of Minnesota. But let's talk about this because this is, I think, a key element in it, and it's called elitism. You have a formula in your book. The equation is arrogance plus leftism equals elitism. Talk about that, because I think that is so key to what we're watching play out here. Yeah, I mean, a big part of the left-wing hubris is the idea that man is perfectible and that through government and enough smart people putting their heads together, we'll solve all the problems and re-educate people. And what our founders understood is that human, what they understood is that human nature is flawed. Um, we, are, we are all designed equal by God, uh, but you can't, you can't perfect them. There is no utopia on earth. So you create a government with sufficient checks and balance to check the inherent nature of, and desire for power. But the arrogance of the left, it's not, it's not it, being elite isn't bad. We have elite athletes and elite musicians and all of that. This is the elitist mindset that we know better than you, preaching down from the ivory towers um, of, of condescension, and they use the tool very effectively of political correctness. I, I, I call the, the Ivy League is, is like the, um, is where the left goes to launder bad ideas. That's where they, that's where they start them. They, they, they write these highfalutin sounding papers that make no sense at all, but they start to ram it down the throats of students and graduate students and in white papers and think tanks. And then pretty soon they percolate its way into our culture and our curriculum. And suddenly up is down and down is up. Uh, and there are not two genders, there are 500. And, and we're looking around saying that just doesn't make any sense to me in, in, in basic ways that I've always been taught in biblical truths and, and all the things that we've got from common sense wisdom. So elitism is, is sort of the gateway by which really bad ideas become socialized. And that's why, and I, and I think Donald Trump has done a great way of exposing that by taking on political correctness. Hopefully we can go to the next level and, uh, and, and, and take it on directly. Yeah, you know, and I think, Pete, when we talk about elitism, the, the problem, and it's kind of this tie, also tie into political correctness as well, is that what they tell you is doing, it's for your own good, Pete. You've got to do this because it's, it's for your own good because you're too stupid to know that this isn't good and it's good for the, but it's the collectivism versus rugged individualism is what I'm seeing happen. Big time. Yeah, it all depends on how you view how you view individuals. I mean, I, and that's where you get into grievance groups and, and identity politics. The left wants to tell you that you are part of a collective and, and who, some other attribute other than your soul and your independent desires is what defines you. Skin color, gender, class, uh, all of those things, as opposed to freedom, uh, small l liberalism, you know, real freedom is the idea that you as a soul, as an individual, are able to chart your course and set your destiny. And what makes America special is that you have individual freedom and equal justice under the law. And as a citizen in the greatest country on earth, and we've been fighting to make it more equal over time, Let make no mistake about it. Uh, but the left also, of course, defines America by our sins, not by our ability to overcome them. So it, it, all of it breaks down to a left-right dynamic. It's just never been more stark than it is today because of how much the left has captured the modern Democrat Party. Yep, exactly. So let me talk about this because this is something that's in your book also, but, but I want to talk about it more from this perspective because it, it, one of the parts of elitism is that if you didn't go to Harvard or, or Princeton or some kind of you know, elite university, you shouldn't be listened to. 
you go around the country and you get an opportunity to do this diner uh, segments, yeah. and I just love them because if you if you if you just go to social media, you think, oh my God, the country's lost because you read all these comments and they're just so insane. But you're going and talking to real Americans in places where maybe Donald Trump has been and all those kind of things, and it makes me go, okay. We're going to be okay. Do, do, do you get that same sense when you go in? It does the same for me. It does. It restores my faith. I call it common sense wisdom. I, I, it's my favorite part of the job, running across the country, talking to regular folks, getting the pulse of the people. Um, and I, I'm with Bill Buckley on this. I, don't, I can't remember if I included it in the book. I don't think I did, but it's the exact same sentiment. Um, I'd rather be governed by the first 40 names of the Boston phone book than the first 40 names in the Harvard faculty. <laughs> uh, it, I mean, it, it's true. I mean, it, and, I've, and I've, I have gone to these Ivy League universities. I know how these people think. I know the, the way they condescend to, for the ability for regular people to make decisions for their own lives. Uh, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't trust them with, with my dinner plans tonight, let alone central planning of our economy uh, or, yeah. or the social experiments they want to place on people. So it is it – is, um, so I, I want to also break down the idea that the, these people in the upper echelons are sort of the purveyors of, of truth. And we see that through the exposure of the fake news media, which is full of elitists uh, who, who have now exposed themselves in the era of Trump as well. Yep, absolutely. I can't let you go without asking this final question. You're from the great state of Minnesota. This has got to be really hard for you to watch, what's happening there with the mayor there, the, just everybody just saying, okay, stand down. It's kind of, it kind of reminds me of Benghazi. I hate to make that comparison, but, but the stand down stuff, to leave everybody alone, let them burn down the city. What has this been like for you, Pete Hegseth, from Minnesota, to watch this happening to, to your great state? Yeah, it really is kind of the worst case scenario. I mean, you can't abandon a police precinct and let it be burned down. And then the next night say, we're going to we're going to have a curfew at 8 p.m. And then when that happens, you say, oh, just kidding. And then at, at noon, at midnight, when you finally do deploy police, they're they're largely told to, to back away from protesters. It only emboldens the worst impulses of not just and this isn't protesters at this point. These are rioters. These are looters. These are people coming from the outside as well. Um, intentionally to cause these problems. But it's also it's an exposure of, of, of left-wing leadership in urban cores in our country. Minneapolis is no exception, uh, where, where you know, people, the relationship between cops and, 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 and the citizenry and the inability to, to provide real security and equal justice to people has fomented. And the left does that time and time again. And I, we wonder why the problem never goes away when the solution is always the same, a big government, and it doesn't work. Yep, well said, just like everything in your book. Pete, where is the best place for my listeners to go get American Crusade? Uh, Don, any, anywhere, anywhere books are sold, uh, which, but you can go to PeteHexeth.com. You can go to you know, Amazon Books a Million, Barnes & Noble. Uh, Premier Collectibles has a signed version. You can also go to Fox Nation, foxnation.com, or download the app where you can get a signed copy if you sign up for a subscription there as well. I know, because I know you want to sign more, right? <laughs> no, I don't, but I will if I have to. <laughs> all right, Pete, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks for your insight, and good luck on the book. I wish it all the success in the world, and great having you on the program. Thank you, Don. Take care. All right, that was my sit-down with Pete Hegseth. Um, yep, I know he love, wants to sign more books, <laughs> but really good book. You should check this out. Uh, he did a great job with it. He's a great writer, so and a true patriot for sure. So always love to talk to Pete Hegseth. You know, we talked in the interview with Richard Barris. We're talking about the, the danger of the rhetoric that's taking place now. And, and we see it every day. We see it actually playing out in the streets. You've got uh, Nancy Pelosi calling federal agents stormtroopers. 
Hey, remember, remember this? You remember when President Trump was elected and they mocked him for uh, downplaying the intelligence community? You literally have politicians, the Speaker of the House, calling federal agents stormtroopers. Now, I don't think really any of us really want to see federal agents have to go into a city like Portland or going to Chicago or going to somebody's got to do something. We can't just sit here and watch these cities burn. 60 days, everybody talks about those 58 consecutive nights now this has been going on in Portland. Folks, this has been going on for over two years. This has been going on since Donald Trump was elected president. So let's not pretend that it's just all started. Let's not pretend it just got violent. People started burning things after the federal agents showed up. The federal agents showed up because the city was burning and because the leadership there will do absolutely nothing about it. They don't seem to care. They seem to actually be quite supportive. I'm sure you saw the mayor, Ted Wheeler, uh, who went down into the city, just like we saw it in Minneapolis with uh, Mayor Fry, right, where he walked down in there. They got the same treatment. I'm going to say this one more time. These people are not for anything. They're against everything. They hate this country. This is an organized group. This is a funded group. They're talking to each other on walkie-talkies. Do you think, look at the pictures, whether it's Portland, whether it's Chicago, whether it's Minneapolis, it doesn't matter where it is, any of the pictures where these are going on. And this weekend, I think we're going to see a lot more of it. I think it's going to really ramp up here tonight, um, probably carry into Sunday as well. Notice the umbrellas. Notice the black umbrellas. Do you think that they all just happen to decide one day, you know, we're going to go to the protest tonight. Let's stop in and pick up this particular model, this particular color of umbrellas. Do you think that's possible? Is that even humanly possible that they all just happen to buy the same umbrellas? Or do you think maybe there's somebody behind this? Look at the one from Grant Park, which was a couple weeks ago. Uh, they were going to tear down the uh, Christopher Columbus statue. And that's one where they attacked the police officers, like 140 police officers or something got hurt. Look at the coordinated way that they move. And if you watch the video, if you've seen this, if you haven't, find it. It's the Grant Park. It's, uh, I don't know, two weeks ago, something like that. Now, of course, uh, Mayor Lightfoot tore down the statue anyway. She appeased these people who will never, ever be satisfied Ever. You could give them every single thing they want, and they will just give you a new list. You give them everything on that list, they'll give you another list, and another list, and another list. This is why you don't negotiate with terrorists. It's why you don't appease them. But look at the video, and you'll see how the crowd all puts up their umbrellas at the same time, the exact same umbrellas. I know it's just a coincidence. They all start moving together. Then you see guys in the back, or I don't know if they're, I can't say they're guys, because the purpose of the umbrellas is to not be able to identify who they are. And you see them throwing the frozen water bottles out the back. Then the crowd that's following them picks them up, and they start throwing them at the police. Folks, if you don't think this is coordinated by now, I don't know what to tell you, because you can actually see it. You can see it play out. Federal agents didn't just show up because everybody was being cool in Portland. And this has not only been going on for 58 nights or whatever, it's been going on for years now, since the election of President Trump really was the rise of Antifa. So um, let's all let's be eyes wide open on this thing and let's understand exactly what's taking place. But in that interview with Richard, we talked about the dangers of the things that are being said by these political leaders, the danger of the way that the media is portrayed. Again, 
you would swear that this is Armageddon in Florida. Folks, it isn't. We're just fine. You've got to go down to number eight to find us on the list. Now we're number one when it comes to having a Republican governor. So just think about that for a minute. For those that want to make COVID-19 political, just think about this. States one through seven on the death chart are run by Democrats. So it is what it is. If they, anybody that wants to take this thing political, just kind of point that out to them because I think it's a pretty important thing. Listen to the way these people talk. Listen to Nancy Pelosi, who thinks it's George Kirby, right? Now, that must have been a really, really proud moment for her. But she said this just a couple weeks ago. Listen to this. For something to happen, they're going to have to face the realities of police brutality, the realities of the need for justice in policing, and the recognition that there are many, many good people in, in um, law enforcement, but not all. But so far, they were trying to get away with murder, actually. The murder of George Floyd. The Republicans somehow murdered George Floyd. I'll give her credit. At least she got the name right that time. But think about that. How in the... If there was any real journalism in this country, somebody would have asked, how do you blame Republicans for the murder of George Floyd? What a nasty, disgusting, vile thing to say. The other day I caught, and I didn't get the clip, where she was talking about being grizzly moms, right? So because they had the the wall of moms in Portland and blah, blah, blah. The next day it was the wall of dads. Last night it's the wall of veterans. No, it's the wall of anarchists. Okay? Moms didn't just show up magically one day all wearing the same shirts just like they didn't show up all with the exact same model umbrella. Folks, again, coordinated. Somebody's paying the bill on the Soros, whoever it is. Somebody's footing the bill. This is an organized group. But she said about grizzly moms, she said, this is about going back to school. We're we're debating how to get kids back to school safely. But she doesn't care about the kids. It has got nothing to do with the kids. This is all about votes because it's the only thing they care about. And she said, if you mess with our Cubs, you'll end up dead. She said this about people who want to see kids get back to school. There's a lot of people that want to see kids get back to school. You'll wind up dead. Pretty disgusting stuff, just like blaming George Floyd's murder on the Republican Party. But this is where we're at. There's no healing to this, folks. Again, we have passed a tipping point. This isn't about depressing you. This isn't about getting you to go, oh, my God, we're in so much trouble. This is just reality. It is what it is. This is where we're at, and we've got to figure out how to deal with it going forward. I've got to take a quick commercial break, and then we've got Center for Individual Freedom VP, Mr. Timothy Lee, on the program. We're going to talk about the president's executive orders that he signed uh, in an attempt to lower drug prices, prescription drug prices. Right back after this. Have you ever been frustrated when you go to the doctor and are asked to fill out forms over and over again? And you're asked for information that you don't remember, or you have to submit the same form to multiple organizations. And each time you are asked to fill out the same form by hand. What about filling out business or legal forms, all manually? Maybe you've spent a lot of time filling out a form, made sure that everything is correct, and oops, the person who re-entered the data into the computer system made several mistakes. 
Why couldn't you do it from home in advance, where you can find all of the necessary documents? Now you can at Formateer.com. The next time you need a form filled out, the information can be found right at your fingertips. If you're an individual, you may find some forms ready to use on Formateer.com, or we may be able to create a custom form for you at a very low cost or no cost at all. If you're a small business, Formateer.com will be happy to create a set of forms or a complete data entry solution for your business needs. If you're a business that provides software, IT solutions, or both to another business, Formateer.com has a great solution for you as well. Our parent company, RenderX, provides software and solutions to a very diversified group, from individuals to Fortune 500 companies. Even the United States government budget is formatted with RenderX software. With Formateer.com, customers can fill out forms from their homes in advance when and where they have all the required information, or they can edit information that has changed if they filled out the form previously. No writing for them, no data re-entry for you. Form filling solutions for businesses or individuals at Formateer.com. That's Formateer.com. Is it time to expand and open offices in Sao Paulo and London? A long-term lease will be like a short, tight noose. And furnishing those will be as much fun as a tax on it. You guys always give me such great negative feedback. Fear and doubt holding you back? Now there's a new way to work to minimize risk. With Regis, you get fully equipped offices without a long-term lease, a receptionist, conference rooms, and over 1,100 locations around the world. Regis is the new way to work. Call now and get two months free. Been looking for an online gathering place? You know, a familiar screen does everything you're used to, except give you grief for being a conservative? You've got to try the Tea Party community. At TPC, you'll know how everything works from the very first minute, and you'll probably find a lot of friends who are already there. Organize, communicate, share ideas, upcoming events, pictures, and videos. The Tea Party community connects and empowers like-minded, politically conservative people. Like you, sign up today at teapartycommunity.com. Wouldn't it be nice if there was an easier, less expensive option than a traditional lawyer? At LegalZoom, you get personalized services for your family and your business that's 100% guaranteed. So go to LegalZoom.com today for personalized, affordable legal protection. Are you among the 64% of Americans who believe our country is going in the wrong direction? If yes then eVoiceAmerica.com is the political take action site we've all been waiting for. And it's really free. eVoice America provides your personal list of elected reps every time you log on. This makes it so easy to email your opinions and eVotes on top issues directly to each of our DC elected representatives. eVoice then publishes our eVote majority percentages on top issues to each member of Congress and the media. Now, for the first time in history, we can know what millions of American citizens are telling Congress. No more gridlock. Join the new American majority using eVoiceAmerica.com, putting Americans in control of Congress. Visit eVoiceAmerica.com today. It's free and easy to use. That's eVoiceAmerica.com. Hey, this is Ted Nugent. I'm on the Don Smith Radio Show, where it's okay to be a real conservative.
Hey, welcome back to the show. Founded in 1998, the Center for Individual Freedom is a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization with the mission to protect and defend individual freedoms and individual rights guaranteed by the U.S. Constitution. Timothy H. Lee is Senior Vice President of Legal and Public Affairs for the Center of Individual Freedom in Alexandria, Virginia. And it's great to welcome him on the program here today. Mr. Lee, welcome to the Don Smith Show. Thank you very much. I really appreciate you having me. Well, it's great for you to be here. Now, we had an executive order signed yesterday, and I wanted to talk to you about this, and, and hopefully you can kind of explain what the president's trying to accomplish here. But it, it has to do with trying to lower the drug prices here in America, prescription drug prices. Um, talk a little bit about the four executive orders that he signed yesterday. Well, the primary thrust of it, and it's a very regrettable decision by the White House, um, for three years now, and coming up on four, the Trump administration has performed fantastically by engaging in deregulation and tax cutting and less regulation and interference with private markets. And as a result, we entered the coronavirus with the most prosperous economy in world history. We were looking at loads of unemployment, highs in the stock market, and everything else. Then the coronavirus hits, and obviously that wasn't something – caused or planned by him, but uh, the, the types of deregulatory and free market uh, issues that they had pursued had led to the strongest economy in history. Unfortunately, these orders from yesterday kind of go the different direction, and hopefully they realize this and, and correct it before too much damage is done. Here's the problem. When you start engaging in price controls, and that's what essentially these orders are, they don't reduce prices. They sound good at a very surface level. People hear that uh, we're going to cut drug prices and we're going to index them to what other countries pay. The problem is when you start engaging in price controls, you get less of that product and in some cases none of that product. To take an extreme example, look down at Venezuela. I think a lot of your listeners are, are familiar with that. Um, or back in the Soviet Union, you had people lining up for very basic goods because there were price controls on them. And so people couldn't, people who might otherwise produce those goods for consumers couldn't engage in that because they'd go out of business because they couldn't recoup the investment they had to make in producing that product. The same is true of medicines. And all you have to do is look at worldwide experience. The types of drugs that we're talking about here, um, they just aren't available. Uh, in other countries as much, uh, in some cases far below half of what Americans get. And so if we start importing their price controls instead of exporting our free market principles and patent protection principles to them, we're going to get less of the things. I'll just give you a couple of quick quotes uh, in terms of statistics to sort of illustrate what happens when you engage in these price control mechanisms. Of the top over the past decade or so, of the top uh, about 100 um, new cancer drugs produced in the world, um, Greece gets about 8% of those. Even Canada, whose healthcare system we're, we're often told is, is a great one, only gets about half of the new drugs that are available in America. In the United Kingdom, it's somewhere around 70%. But in none of these countries, you get these life-saving drugs that we have in America, and the, the reason is simple. They engage in these price controls. And unfortunately, what happened yesterday is the Trump administration signed some executive orders 
that move in that direction. We are going to take those foreign countries' price controls and essentially use them to set prices here. And unfortunately, that's going to lead to shortages of these new drugs. It's going to cause less investment um, in these new drugs by companies that produce them. And ultimately, that means that consumers will have fewer of them. One more quick statistic, and, and I'll, I'll sort of summarize. Um, the United States has about 4% of the world's population, and we're the world's biggest economy. But even with our economy, which leaves the world, we're only about 25% of the global economy. But think about this. The United States produces about two-thirds of all new drugs that are introduced in the world. And that's just a remarkable statistic. The reason is that the United States, compared to those other countries, pursues free market principles and strongly protects patent rights. You know, if you invent something, it should be yours to patent and, and enjoy the fruits of your labor. And so two-thirds of the new drugs produced in the world uh, come from America. And we, by taking this position – that it did yesterday, the White House is going to undermine that. And like I said, uh, hopefully they see the error of that way and, and correct it before damage is done. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I, and I think, Timothy, I think you said something that was key in there was we've seen a lot of deregulation, which has been good. I think it's it contributed pre-coronavirus to the growth, the, the massive growth that we had in our economy. Uh, I think it was it had a big part in that. And here we're putting regulations. Now, I'm a you know, I'm a free market guy. So here, let me talk about this a little bit, because I think this is when we talk about the drug prices. And I think everybody would love to have lower prescription drug costs. So, you know, I'm all for that. But one of the things that I think doesn't get talked about enough, and maybe the president maybe didn't take that into account, is the, the litigation. I mean, we do create all these new drugs, and, and we all sit and watch it. We watch it on TV every day. You can see ad after ad about this drug, and now you can come in on this lawsuit, and you can sue this company because it caused this and, and that. That plays a big role in all this, does it not, in the, in, in the cost of uh, prescription drugs? Absolutely. You're talking to a, a former labor and employment attorney who <laughs> one of my ah, favorite issues yes. <laughs> is litigation. <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, and by the way, I was always defense side, so I was defending against the ambulance chasers. But uh, one of my uh, favorite <laughs> issues is litigation reform and uh, ending a lot of these frivolous lawsuits where a lot of plaintiff's attorneys, especially in class actions, just cash out on these. But you make a great point. Um, you know, one of the reasons that drugs are so hard to create and make that, that we were discussing a moment ago in terms of investment and recouping that investment is when you come up with a drug idea, my recollection, I, I want to say it's about 3% of all new drug ideas that start heading toward testing and experimentation ever actually make it onto the market. There's a lot of FDA safety requirements. There's testing to make sure they actually work. But one of the other issues is the potential for liability lawsuits that you just talked about. And, you know, reforming that would, would do a great deal of good uh, in terms of speeding drugs to the market. And, uh, and the Trump administration has done well in that regard, too. And I know in the Senate, Mitch McConnell and the Republicans are, are doing a great job of trying to include litigation reform in the next uh, coronavirus stimulus package. Um, but the point you make is great, that one of the reasons that it's so hard to create a drug and bring it to market, even though it can help a lot of people and can be proven effective and safe, is this threat of lawsuits where even the hint that something might go wrong 
instantly triggers these lawsuits. And, and that's uh, one of the problems that we need to um, address as well in this country. But, uh, uh, you know, in terms of free market approaches and strong patent rights, um, in addition to litigation reform that you just talked about, that could help uh, get these drugs to market faster. One other quick thing, if, if I could point this out for your listeners, a lot of people out there listening probably right now will think to themselves, well, wait a minute, if the United States healthcare system is so good, why are we always hearing that it's so bad? Why are life expectancies in the United States lower than they are in, say, Germany or, or Denmark? Here's when you look at the numbers, that's actually not true as it relates to our healthcare system. The reason that life expectancy is higher in some of those countries is they drive far less. Obviously, in Europe, you have shorter distances to go. Here in America, you have wider distances with a great interstate highway system. Traffic accidents are higher here, and traffic deaths are higher out here. You start removing that. And you're looking at actually, uh, it's usually equivalent, but in terms of cancer survival rates and medical performance, when it actually relates to the healthcare system and not things like traffic deaths or uh, violence in some cities, uh, the United States actually outperforms those countries. So whenever people hear about, well, the healthcare system is better in Canada or Denmark or someplace mm-hmm. else, that's actually not the case. And the statistics that they use to try to prove that are, are false ones. Well, they're not false, but they're not appropriate for that discussion. So, you know, we have a great pharmaceutical market. We lead the world. Again, we produce about two-thirds of all new drugs in the world, and uh, it leads to these good outcomes, and we shouldn't jeopardize that. Yeah, exactly. And that's a great point. And I want to I want to get a little bit further into that. Let's dig into that a little bit, because I know I know a lot of people who have come from Canada and have come here to have something, uh, some kind of procedure performed, either because they were denied with their uh, kind of socialized Medicare thing they've got going on up there. But I don't know anybody, Timothy, that's flying from the United States up to Canada to get some kind of a procedure done. Or, but a <laughs> lot of people come from all over the world to the United States of America to get these procedures done. Are you concerned that this, because I'm concerned about about socialized medicine programs and all the things that the Bernie Sanders and even Joe Biden now is talking about. I'm concerned about this country going that direction because I think it really hurts what we have right now. And just to the point you just made, are you concerned this is kind of like a step towards uh, social, some kind of socialized uh, medical system here? Yes, that's precisely the problem because these drug uh, price controls that we're talking about importing with the uh, White House executive orders yesterday, those are socialized healthcare uh, systems, certainly more socialized than the United States is. Um, And as you mentioned about Canada, people don't go there for their treatments. Canadians come here. This may not still be true, but as of recent years, I recall hearing the statistics that more Canadians get their MRIs performed in Cleveland than they do in any city in Canada. That tells you something. You know, you come across the border to Canada uh, to Cleveland to get your MRA done for the same reason that you don't go to Venezuela to get toilet paper. You know, it's not being used there. There are price controls, and it and it just doesn't work there. And so, take a step back. You know, for people who are still skeptical, look at states in the United States alone that pursue more socialized economies and economic principles. People are fleeing those states. You can't get a U-Haul out of California. And I lived in Los Angeles for 15 years. I loved it there. But you, mm-hmm. it's easy to get a U-Haul going into California, but try getting one to move to Arizona or Colorado or Nevada or places, Texas. 
Uh, it just doesn't happen. And it's the same principle. When you have more government control, more price controls, and more regulations, you get that sort of economic stagnation. And that applies also to drugs. And hopefully we don't learn a very hard lesson. Hopefully we reverse this. Yep, I agree with that. All right, Timothy, for my listeners who aren't familiar with the Center for Individual Freedom, tell us a little bit about it. Uh, where can they go to find out more about it? And is there a way that they can help you? Absolutely. Go to our website. It's just cfif.org. That's CFIF, stands for Center for Individual Freedom.org. We were started in 1998, as you said, and that was long before I ever got there. Uh, but uh, we're a, a constitutional rights organization. We pursue First Amendment rights. Uh, the Heller case, you've probably talked about on your show before, the Second Amendment. Uh, case. Uh, we wrote one of the briefs in that case as well. So First Amendment, Second Amendment, lower taxes, less regulation, that's what we represent. And so please do visit our website and uh, um, read what we've got. We're, uh, we're fighting the good fight. Absolutely. CFIF.org. You can check that out. Timothy Lee, thank you so much for your time and your perspective on this today. And I'd love to talk to you again in the future. Thanks to you and everybody have a great weekend. All right, you do the same, Timothy Lee, CFIF.org, check it out. You know, one of the problems is you never want the government to pick and choose winners. We hear this over and over again. It's, it's a conservative principle, uh, something most conservatives are against, and I think this is one of those situations. So I get the frustration. I get the frustration that drug, uh, the cost of prescription drugs are high, and we'd all like to see them lower. There's been inaction on it. Uh, in, the, in the executive orders, just to point out, they have to August 24th, the uh, pharmaceutical industry, to do something about it. I don't know what they do. I, I mean, again, you've got the litigation things. You've got the investments that go into creating these new drugs, and, and they're created here. I mean, th this is, uh, like Timothy said, the, those that say we are, our system is horrible, well, we create a lot of great stuff, and, and they continue to put a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of effort into that research, and when they do develop it, they have a right to take that to the free market. People need it. It saves lives. It does a lot of great things. So I'm never in favor of anybody. Yes, even if it's President Trump, uh, I'm never in favor of anybody uh, kind of picking the winners and losers and putting uh, price caps and all these kind of things on. Because if you don't understand the business, if you don't understand the interest, uh, the things that are involved in doing all these things, and if you don't take into account the litigation, which is a huge thing, we see these ads every single day. Right. If you've ever had. OK, so I ran a company for BF Goodrich. This was a number of years ago and I got there to run this business and there was a long term thing going on for like a year. This had been going on where, where a former employee uh, it was it was this was during the asbestos days. Right. So he was a former employee and he was dying of asbestos and um, big lawsuit and they, they just wanted to settle. They were just going to settle with this guy. Okay, well, just just give him some money and, um, you know, it's a bad situation. Don't get me wrong. The guy was, was you know, he, he was dying of this. So I asked a question. This is really important to understand. So I asked somebody a question. I said, do we even know? Again, this has been going on for a year. Do we even know that this was an actual employee of the company? So the, the company was based in Houston, Texas. So everybody looked at me like, well, I don't know. They just assumed he was. So, so I had them go back, go through all the employment records, find out if this guy ever even worked for the company. Long story short, no, he didn't. He never even lived in Houston, Texas. 
So after a year of all this time and energy and, and legal costs and all these things that were going on, we found out that the guy actually never even, not only didn't work at the company, never even lived in Houston, Texas. So uh, once we pointed that out to his attorney, the whole thing was dropped and um, they went on and they apologized. They were like, hey, this guy's just, you know, uh, he's at the end of his life. He doesn't have anything to leave his wife. And, and we get that. And we understand that there was empathy there and, and all those kind of things. But it's the reality. And, and the point of it is this. All those things, all those costs were real. We incurred costs. He, they incurred costs. All these things because of something that really wasn't even real. It was just a litigation thing. We see the commercials on TV. If you've ever, you know, had this happen, call us now, and it's a class action lawsuit, and it's a big deal. So it's a big deal for the litigation side of things, and it creates a uh, inflated cost. It just really does inflated costs because of all the time and the effort and the energy that went into um, creating this this drug and all the things that go along with it. So uh, I don't know how this plays out. I don't know how the pharmaceutical industry can even do anything about this. Um, I guess I guess what they could do, and, and maybe this is the point. I guess what they could do is they could just stop creating new drugs because now they don't have to worry about litigation going forward. Uh, and now they don't have to invest in all the research and all the things, all the approval processes. Think about the, the approval process that you need from, from the FDA to get these things on the market. And uh, it's, it's a huge cost. So we'll see what happens. Not a big fan of it. Uh, hopefully, hopefully there's some maybe this isn't a good idea moment that happens here and maybe uh, the president will have a chance to talk to some of these people and, and have it explained to them all the things that go along with it. But it is what it is. So we talked in the interview with Richard Barris just a little bit ago. We talked about the danger of the media, the way these things are being portrayed. We talked about the, we played the clip of Nancy Pelosi talking about the Republicans murdered George Floyd, uh, just vile things. That are being said, but I want to also talk about this because there's always a narrative, there's always a mission, there's always a reason that these articles are written. Everything now, we've passed the tipping point. I mean, we have passed the tipping point where Portland is okay, the feds are the bad guys. Uh, we've passed the point where baseball teams are doing all the things that they're doing, the football teams. Uh, all of sports is now all about social justice and all these kind of things. This is a dangerous time in this country. But the one thing that happens is the media, they, they perpetuate all this, right? So they tell you everything is based around skin color, and it, it's just gotten so absolutely insane. But it also depends. What is their narrative? What is the mission of this particular news outlet? And we've gotten to the point where we really have to look at this. So I want to give you two stories that came out here within weeks of each other. This one is from Bloomberg, and it's called this is the title of it. Black business owners ranks collapse by 41% in U.S. lockdowns. I'll just read a little bit of it. The COVID-19 economic shutdown has hurt African-American businesses the most among racial and ethnic groups in the U.S. With a 41% decline of black owners from February to April, a new study from the National Bureau of Economic Research shows. While the pandemic has hit entrepreneurs across the board, closing some 3.3 million small businesses, at least temporarily, the sidelining of 440,000 African-Americans was especially severe. Black owners may have fared worse because fewer of them operated in industries deemed essential during the pandemic, among other factors. According to the NBER paper, Immigrant business owners also fared poorly with a 36% drop during the period. What we're being told now is that COVID-19 somehow 
has racial motivations, that somehow it's part of the systemic racism. Folks, it's a virus, right? It's a virus. But there's, a, there's an agenda here. There's a narrative here. Now, just a few weeks later, I want you to listen to this. Support, this is from Business Insider, support for black-owned businesses skyrocketed to historic levels in the last two months, according to a new Yelp report. Interest in supporting black-owned businesses has never been so high, according to a Yelp report released on Wednesday. Search activity for black-owned businesses on Yelp increased by 7,043% in the last two months, compared to the same period in 2019. Yelp users searched for black-owned businesses over 2.5 million times between May 25th to July 10th. In 2019, there were around 35,000 similar searches during the same period. It depends on your agenda. What is your agenda? But here's the real problem is that everything is being broken down this way, right? For me, it's, it's pretty simple. I'm a conservative. I think this is the biggest difference between the left and the right right now. I'm a conservative. To me, I don't care. I don't care about your religion. I don't care about your sexual orientation, your skin color. You're all these little boxes that the Democrats have created over the years. For them, it's everything. Everything must be broken down into these little boxes. You have to fit into one of them. For me as a conservative, you know, I'm a free market guy. I'm an uh, equal opportunity for everybody guy. I'm, a, I'm an American dream guy. Everybody has a chance at the American dream. You can sit around and you can say, well, I have no chance. That was my biggest disappointment. I've said this before in the program. I'll say it again, and I'll probably say it 10 years from now. My biggest disappointment with Barack Obama, aside from the fact that I didn't agree with most of his policies, but that's because I'm a conservative. He's a liberal. It has nothing to do with skin color. My biggest problem was here was a man who ascended to the presidency. He was the most powerful man on the face of the earth. Instead of telling people, here's how I got here, young black men, young black women, here's how I got here. Here's, here's what, here was my path. Instead, he didn't do that. He told them, you really don't have any chance. You know, eh, the deck is stacked against you. Really nothing you can do, systemic racism. You will never amount to anything, basically, was what he says. Oprah Winfrey, same thing. There's, there's no positive message of, here's how I became one of the richest, or the wealthiest people in the entire world. No, it's, yeah, you really don't have a shot, you know. And I think that's always something that's really been disappointment, disappointment to me, so... Anyway, it depends on your agenda when it comes to the media, but they break everything down this way. They're going to continue to do this. I, again, I think we've, we've kind of passed the tipping point, not saying that to scare you or to um, have you kind of freak out. We just have to be eyes wide open on this. We have to know exactly what's going on. I don't think going forward, you're going to see movies made that don't have social justice messages. I don't think you're going to see commercials, same thing, sports. I think everything has gotten 100% political. It is what it is. We've got to deal with it. We've got to understand exactly what is going on. I want to thank all my guests, of course, Pete, Pete Hegseth. Check out his book, American Crusade. Absolutely incredible. I really enjoyed reading that. Also, Timothy Lee, uh, CFIF.org. Check those guys out. That's good stuff. Also, my good friend, he is the editor of PeoplesFundantDaily.com. His name is Richard Barris. More importantly, I want to thank each and every one of you for tuning in today for another Don Smith Show be back here next Saturday, noon Eastern time. We'll have another great lineup and so much to talk about. Everybody, have a great weekend. 